0: Ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live, I am your host, Joe Mullinax, and it is a joyous occasion here at Grizzly Bear Blues Live at grizzlybearblues.com, and I'll tell you why, because grizzlybearblues.com kicked the 2020 NBA drafts' ass. That's what it did. I am fired up. Sean Coleman called it. He got every single pick right. Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman even got the two-way contract right. He got Chris Vernon shouting him out on Twitter and all these other media types talking about the great analysis of Sean Coleman shout out to him and all the great work he does over at grizzlybearblues.com guess what else folks our prospect profiles that we've been doing for what 5 or 6 months a lot of them got more views today than they did at any other point during their being live because fans from other sites who didn't have NBA draft coverage like ours came to our blog to see the breakdown of those prospects, like Justinian Jessup, who I thought was a Byzantine emperor. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's a shooting wing from Bo- Boise State. I did that breakdown. But that was one of our lead posts at grizzlybearblues.com on Thursday because of the work that our staff put in. So I am so damn proud. I know I'm coming with a lot of energy. I'm coming in hot on this episode of the show, but Parker Fleming, my co-host, my associate editor who helped with our draft coverage in so many ways, Parker, we, we, we rocked it, man. I mean, I try to be humble and, and, you know, try to not to be that guy, but you know, between Sean and the love that, and I'm so excited for Sean, like Sean deserves that so much. He's such a good dude. And he works so hard with locked on and with our podcasts and our blogs as well. Um, It's just so cool to see the blog and Sean in particular, uh, get some love today because and I, I, again, I try to not be braggadocious. Nobody covered the Memphis Grizzlies in the 2020 NBA draft like we did.
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. And, yeah, big shout-out to Sean. And it, it's really a testament to him and his work, both with Bear Blues and Locked On, because I mean, we we had the whole process of like pitching features in. And there's a lot of times where it's like, oh, somebody kind of already wrote something similar. But no, Sean never does that. He kind of just – has a mind of his own when it comes to analyzing the game of basketball. And Joe, I think you, you're forgetting here too, when that post initially dropped, it got on the the mothership SB Nation page. It sure did. That's true. So that was just probably the best work Sean's done, and I'm glad that he's getting the recognition he deserves. But uh, I'm, for one, very glad that this 2020 draft is over. I've covered it vigorously since about May or June. and. I'm also just really thrilled that they ended the night with Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and Killian Tilly. I mean, I'm really excited for the future of this team because those are three guys that I see on the next iteration of the Grizzlies playoff team. So I'm pumped. And McDermott from energy, Butler. But.
0: And McDermott from Butler. And we signed in an Exhibit 10 contract guy too. I, I think Tripp's his last name. I don't want to be disrespectful. I believe he played at Pacific. He'll probably be with the Memphis Hustle. Shout out to Brandon Abraham but it's just so exciting. And maybe I've been covering this team too long, but it's so exciting to be a part of a blog that covers a team that has a competent front office like that. Mm. that I didn't have that at any point in my Grizzlies fandom. It was always Chris Wallace or the chaos that came during the ownership changes after Heisley. Now, There's competency, there's a type, there's a culture that's being cultivated, and it's wonderful to see. I'm fired up here for this episode of GBB Live. Hopefully you are too. Ways to get in touch with the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow myself on Twitter, the site manager of GBB Joe Molinax at Joe Molinax. You can follow my co host and associate editor, Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flaca. And you can follow that blog that we love so much. And I will ask that you do so because we're closing in on 12,000 followers on Twitter at SPN Grizzlies. Uh, our guests for this show are pretty solid, especially considering where we've been with the NBA draft and where we're going with free agency. Later on in the show, I'm going to have Mark Gianotto of 929 FM, ESPN Memphis, and the Commercial Appeal in Memphis. Uh, to talk about free agency. He wrote a column that was a little bit down on draft night because of injury concerns with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow. Uh, So we'll talk to him about that. Not necessarily down on the draft, but down on the short-term prospects of the Grizzlies. So we'll break all that down and we'll preview free agency for Memphis. But here, first, in this segment, uh, no disrespect to Xavier Tillman, who obviously has the connection with Jaron Jackson Jr. from Michigan State. No disrespect to Killian Tilly and uh, McDermott who are on those two-way contracts. All those guys have value, and I think that they're part of the A grade that I gave the Grizzlies on draft night. But the prized piece, at least in terms of trading into the first round to bring him into the fold, is Desmond Bain. And who better to talk about one of the best TCU basketballers in history than the man who runs the wonderfully named Frogs of War, or Frogs of War, excuse me, the TCU blog for SB Nation, Mr. Jamie Plunkett. Follow him on Twitter at Frog Preacher, which is another tremendous handle. You guys are killing it in the Twitter handle game like GBB is killing it in the NBA draft game. Jamie, how are you doing it?
2: Joe Parker, thank you so much for having me on. I I am doing incredibly well. It was wonderful to see Desmond Bain go to an organization like the Memphis Grizzlies, who uh, I have family in Memphis, and they were texting me last night. They're thrilled to have him be a part of grit and grind nation. And obviously he got into that. Uh, he's, he's buying into the culture on Twitter already. Um, it is my pleasure to be here with you guys right now.
0: I do have a quick question about your Memphis connection. Cause I was in an interaction when I announced you being a guest on our show uh, with a former GB beer, uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. Chase Lucas, who uh, at deep fried couch, a respected member of Grizzlies Twitter and a respected uh, he's even in my background po- picture on my Twitter profile as someone who, uh, I want to quote this properly. Hold on. Give me a second. He compared me to, what did he compare me to? Uh, gotta love this uh, process. He, anyway, he compared me to, there we go. I am the reverse Nate Silver on Twitter. Uh, he finds Joe, and Nate Silver being the prognosticator of political polls. Um, mm-hmm. He finds me very likable, but usually wrong. So that's the, the love-hate relationship that I have with <laughs> Chase. Um, and that's very on par with his personality. Again, Chase worked with us here at GBB, a very dry sense of humor, but apparently you guys have a bit of a background. So just briefly, uh, there was a very nice picture of you guys at a Dallas Memphis game back in the day. Uh, talk Mm -hmm. to me about the relationship with Chase and, uh, how that picture
2: came to be. So Chase and I know each other through a mutual friend who went to high school with Chase and was my fraternity brother at TCU. Shout out to Chris Reed, um, he introduced the two of us when I went back to Memphis with Chris for a long weekend to go to the Grizzlies Mavericks game, which Mavericks fans lovingly remember as the game where Lamar Odom got cut at halftime. Yes. Um, I remember that. Yeah. So we're sitting there uh, in the lovely FedEx forum and I am watching the Mavericks just get absolutely blasted, uh, which was a thrill, total thrill and Lamar Odom sits down on the baseline right in front of the Mavericks bench while play is happening on the opposite end of the court. Uh, And he's supposed to be down there because he's technically one of the five guys on the court at that point. And Mark (laughs) Cuban is standing up behind the Mavericks bench, just screaming at this man to get up off his butt and move himself back down the court. And Odom just gets up and walks back to the locker room with like four minutes left in the second quarter. Uh, And he did not come back out after halftime and Later that evening, after the game had ended and the Mavericks lost by, I believe, like 24, 25 points, uh, it was uh, made known to the public that Lamar Odom was no longer going to be a Dallas Maverick. So, you know, really a highlight uh, in Mavericks history that we, we were witness to <laughs> at that moment. But that's how I know Chase. Uh, Chase is a great guy. Uh, he's done some incredible work for y'all and is really a, a very wise Grizzlies fan. So if, yeah, if, if your folks don't follow Deep Fried Couch, y'all need to go do that right now.
0: Agreed completely, 100%. Shout out to Chase. He's a he's a good dude. He did some good work for us back in the day, 100%. So you guys, good segue here over at Frogs Award, do pretty solid work on the Thank TCU Horn Frogs. I have read you in the past. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert and, and be dishonest, but I have read the work in the past when it um there was a uh, – I forget his name off the top of my head. This is embarrassing. There was a prospect from Memphis that I actually taught when I taught in Memphis – that went and played, and Parker. Maybe you can help with help me with this. He went and played at TCU. Uh, Jalen Fisher. There you go, Fisher. Yeah, yes. Fisher played at Bolton for a while, and I actually would interact with him in the hallways and stuff. I try to talk him into playing football. I'm a football coach in my day job, um, and uh, he never bit. Probably the right decision. Uh, but anyway, so I've read some of your guys' work in the past. Haven't been by in a while, but of course, Desmond Bain is on the radar of the Grizzlies he really came onto my radar when I saw him compared to Malcolm Brogdon by Kevin O'Connor of the ringer. I respect O'Connor a good bit for his draft work and I love Malcolm Brogdon. I'm a UVA basketball fan. So I was a big fan of that comp. So I did a little more research, dug in a little bit with your guys' blog and you guys really do a tremendous job covering the TCU sports uh, scene. Uh, You guys posted an article. Absolutely. You guys posted an article uh, today Or it might have been late yesterday. No, it was today. Uh, congratulations, Grizzlies fans. You just drafted Desmond Bain. Here's what you're getting. And the below the title, it is the top flight shooter who shot, I believe, 43% for his career from three and four years at TCU, is a top flight person too. And when I saw that line, I was fortunate enough to be able to be on the media availability. Uh, with Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies last night. And I was also fortunate enough to ask the first question to Zach. And I I asked him what it was like to develop a game plan during a pandemic, a, a process unlike any other in NBA history. And he said for them, it wasn't necessarily easy, but they wanted to really prioritize the fact that they had a type, you know, and I wrote about it for the blog uh, today as well. Um, the standard that the Grizzlies are building. And it's a hard-nosed, it's tough players. It's guys that maximize their talent, who are gym rats that are willing to be uh, hard workers towards an overall team goal. They're unselfish. And everything that I've seen about Desmond Bain, from his skill set on the court to his character off of the court, suggests that if Memphis has a type, they might've found uh, one of the best fits, if not the best fit in the entire NBA draft in Desmond Bain, and arguably the most valuable pick in the NBA draft, 30th overall because of the first-round contract that comes with that selection.
2: Absolutely. So you you, you talk about a hard worker. Um, All you have to do is take one look at Desmond Bain's biceps, and you understand how hard this man works. He is uh, incredibly chiseled, but beyond that, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal um, athlete. Uh, I've read all of the scouting reports that talk about how his arms are a little too short and maybe he isn't as naturally athletic as some other shooting guards that are a little bit bigger or taller than him. Um, But the reality is, is that you are not going to um, outwork Desmond Bain. It just simply will not happen. Um, He is in the gym before everyone else. He's still the amount of times that I left the stadium and he was back out on the court after coming and talking with the press, shooting more jumpers, just still working on his shot, working on his game. Uh, it, it's countless the amount of times that he was still out there after he was available to the media, after he and TCU just finished a basketball game, just shooting shots. Um, the guy has the most insane work ethic that I've ever witnessed in a, in a TCU basketball player. He describes himself as blue collar. You know, he grew up in the Midwest, uh, did not have very many offers out of high school. He went to a very small high school in Indiana. TCU was his only division one offer. Um, or his only Power 5 offer, mind you. Uh, He almost ended up at Miami of Ohio instead of TCU. Uh, And so this man has earned everything that he has to this point. He earned his offer to TCU, and then as a freshman, he earned more playing time as a starter through his senior year. He was – or as a starter from sophomore through senior year, he just consistently time and time again stepped up and stepped up and stepped up. And he has been the backbone of TCU basketball for the last four years. Uh, Memphis fans, you need to, you need to just take a moment and and be incredibly thankful for the guy that you're getting because as great as he is on the court. Uh, one of the things that I will always remember most about Desmond Bain, it was the last time uh, he donned a TCU jersey. TCU had finished their game and he was made available uh, and someone asked him, you know, what's one of the most memorable moments that you've had in your last four years at TCU? And he talked about an, uh, an opportunity to go and spend a day Saturday working with Hab- Habitat for Humanity and building a house and meeting a family and working with kids at elementary schools. And he just talked about all the opportunities that he had through TCU to serve the community. That was the memorable thing for him. Uh, from his time at TCU, not being the you know leading three-point shooter in TCU history or the third, most, third best scorer in TCU history or the guy who finished 2020 season with the highest three-point percentage in the Big 12. It wasn't any on-court accolades. It was the fact that he had the chance to give back. Uh, and I think that's a testament to his character um, and to his willingness, like when it's all said and done, uh, he knows that he has an opportunity to give back to the people around him and he's willing to do that.
0: I'm so fired up, I can't stand it. That is fantastic to hear. And I I think that one of the things that makes me so excited to hear that and to hear Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies, continue to discuss the idea that they're trying to build a climate where character matters, where the culture is of hard work, everything that you just said fits to a T, what Zach Kleiman reiterated in his media availability after the draft. Uh, That's why we fell in love with Grit and Grind. You know, and that's why people still to this day, when after, you know, a couple of years now, after Mark and Mike, or not even a couple of years, almost a couple of years because of the pandemic, but one full season now, of season and a half, essentially, of moving on from that era, uh, there's still people like Desmond Bain who know what grit and grind means, who, you know, they, they, there's an era of Grizzlies basketball that Memphians love so much because it was that, you know, it was guys that worked hard. It was guys that weren't perfect in terms of their physical attributes. There were no dominant athletes in the grit and grind era. Marc Gasol was called the big burrito growing up. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) Mike Conley was the best athlete of the bunch. Zach Randolph couldn't jump over a phone book. Tony Allen's main sports center highlights are when he kicks Chris Paul in the face or things like that. But, But they were guys that you knew loved the city, that worked hard for the city that did amazing charity work in the city and they worked well and they bought into the climate and culture that they had cultivated. I don't know that this is, I don't believe it should be grit and grind 2.0 grit and grind is one of the most amazing things I've experienced in my life in sports, especially considering it was a professional sports team that it happened at. I never saw that or seen that or felt that uh, with a professional sports team. College is a little bit different, Uh, but pro sports, I've never felt that in my life as a child, as an adult, whatever. And I don't know that I'll feel it again. Um, But it's nice to know that they're prioritizing good people that have done everything in their power to maximize what they have in terms of their talent. Because those are the folks, instead of prioritizing higher ceiling guys, like Desmond Bain may never be a superstar. He probably won't be. But Desmond Bain could very well, between his pick and roll play, and Parker will talk to you more about his on-the-court stuff here in a moment, but between his on-the-court play, between the way that he carries himself off of it, it sounds like, you know, if we're trying to build a core of guys around John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. that the city can be proud of both as basketball players and as people that represent the city, Desmond Bain definitely seems to fit the mold there.
2: Absolutely. 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 You're not going to have to worry about Desmond Bain when there's not a game. You're not going to have to worry about his work ethic. You're not going to have to worry about a lot of these things that other teams are going to be asking questions about about their first-round draft picks because those questions get asked every year. You don't have to put. You can put those worries to bed with Desmond Bain.
1: Yeah, one thing I'm just really intrigued with uh, Desmond Bain, and I'm I'm sure you can uh, allude to this for us covering him for the past four years is. I'm really intrigued with how he leverages his uh, shooting with his playmaking because I, I read a lot of places that he was probably the best passer in the draft behind LaMelo Ball. And I'm very interested to see like what that does for the Grizzlies as far as getting open looks for John Morant to serve more as a cutter and to be able to generate looks catching the defense in disarray or allowing opportunities for Tyus Jones to relocate and shoot or a catch-and-shoot from three as he was one of the better spot-up shooters in the NBA last year. Um, obviously, the big thing that's going to be profiled with uh, Bain like, is like his grit-and-grind mindset and his three-point shooting. But are there any other skill sets that we're missing with Bain that we should be aware
2: of, whether it's offense or defense? You know, I think uh, I think you, you named it. His passing ability has really been overlooked uh, and understandably so because of how proficient he is at shooting the three. Um, it's not often that you have a guy who attempts more than 600 threes in a, in a college career and shoots them at a 43% clip like Bain has. Um, and so that's definitely going to be one of the things that stands out the most. But I think with Bain, one of the things that Memphis fans are going to really appreciate early on is that his basketball IQ is off the charts. He understands how his presence uh, can create chaos and opportunity. Um, So when he was the primary ball scorer for TCU in the last two seasons, we saw that in a variety of ways with pick and roll uh, with the big man, um, Kevin Samuel, uh, with his ability to distribute and to drive and, and get the ball out to wing shooters and that kind of stuff. But I want to point to the 2017-2018 TCU season when he shot his best from three-point range at almost a little over 46% from three. Um, And he was still dishing out the ball incredibly well as a sophomore because you had other guys on that team who were the focal point of the offense. And Bain still understood that where he was on the court created opportunity for his teammates. And so he understands spacing. He understands... Um, rotating well on defense, he understands uh, how he can be a presence and a positive impact even when the ball isn't in his hands. And when you're coming into a situation like Memphis, where, like you said, you've got John Morant, you've got Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, you've got some guys who really need the ball in their hands more, Bain is going to be capable of having an impact on the court even if the ball isn't always flowing through him. And that's why I think he's going to be such a tremendous fit in Memphis. He's going to understand how to do that right away, and he's going to be able to step in and make an impact pretty much immediately because of that. Right, and from covering the great <clears throat> leagues this year or this
1: past season, uh, literally almost one in every three questions I asked Coach Jenkins. He alluded to the the importance of having five playmakers on the floor at all times or having as many playmakers on the floor at all, at all times, and Bain fits that for me, and I'm just really – entry to see how he works either as a starter like joe alluded to earlier in the show or before we started recording or off the bench i mean the grizzlies had one of the most efficient bench units you know with tyus jones operating a picking and role and just setting everyone up grayson allen uh popped in the bubble uh, as a three-point shooter De'Anthony melton i would kind of maybe put it this way and joe you could probably tell me yes or no but Melton is, like, a smaller Bane without shooting. Like, his intangibles are insane. And he's just kind of a defensive menace. And then you have Brandon Clark, who, like Bane, fell in the draft to Memphis because teams were scared off by his age and his negative wingspan. But I'm just really intrigued with how Bane fits here. And uh, if you had to give, like, a ceiling for Bane, I mean, Everybody, I mean, Joe just kind of said Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, he said, uh, Bain said Joe Harris or Eric Gordon. Are there any other uh, comps that you would give for
2: Desmond Bain? I, I really like the Eric Gordon comp for Desmond Bain. Uh, just the size, the shooting ability, the defensive toughness, all of that really just screams Desmond Bain to me. Malcolm Brogdon's probably a little bit better of an athlete. Um, a little bit lankier and, and a little bit better on the defensive end, but I, I really love the Eric Gordon comp. Um frankly, I wouldn't be surprised uh watching I've I've watched a significant amount of Memphis basketball just, you know, by proxy, being a Mavericks fan and being in the Southwest division with you guys. Um I I would say that he's a out of the gate, he's probably gonna push Dylan Brooks for significant playing time. Um I think they both kind of fit into the Grizzlies offense and defense the same way. Um, but I think as Bain grows in his understanding of what Memphis really needs from him and how he can play off of Morant and Jackson Jr. and some of these other guys as well, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, kind of like Joe was saying, if, if Bain, um, wasn't a starter on this thing by the all-star break, because, uh, he just, he has all of the tools in his toolbox already. Yes. He's a little bit older, but with that age comes some more wisdom and high and a higher IQ. Uh, and so I think, um, yeah, I, I just I really like the Eric Gordon cop personally.
0: Interesting, interesting that you're burying the lead there, Jamie, from our pre uh, <laughs> pre podcast <laughs> recording. I'll blame Parker for that because he kind of insinuated it himself. But that's okay. We're we're gonna we're gonna get into it a little bit of a teaser there with Mr. Jamie Plunkett at Frog Preacher on Twitter, which is an awesome handle. Uh, he's Thank the you. managing editor at Frogs of War. Uh, They do great jobs or a great job, excuse me, covering TCU athletics. He also has experience with Mavs Moneyball, the SB Nation blog for the Dallas Mavericks. And again, that kind of ties in with his familiarity with Memphis and our ability to, to have that preliminary conversation about the idea of Desmond Bain being a starter on this team. Because Dylan Brooks was a starter, obviously, in the bubble because of injury. Kyle Anderson was a starter and Zach Kleiman did give an injury update, which I'll talk more about with Mark Giannotto in the next segment. But Kleiman essentially said that justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. won't be ready for the start of the season. In the case of justice, he'll probably be ready close to the start. Just not right at it. Jaron might be a while, you know, he had the complete repair of the meniscus. So it sounds like Jaron might miss almost up to a third of the season kind of reading the tea leaves there in terms of his recovery. And they're going to be cautious with both of those guys as well. They should be. Uh, So I, I, my bold take when I first started thinking about this was that Desmond Bain would be a starter by the, the all-star break. But when you look at this team and you see that justice Winslow is probably not going to start, even if Dylan Brooks remains a starter to begin the season, would you rather have Desmond Bain in his 43% career three-point shooting and his play, his play on the perimeter in the pick and roll. Would you rather have that coming off the bench? Maybe. I, I think there's an argument to be had there. But I think that projecting Bain's impact you know, almost immediately on this roster, you say he's going to contend with minutes for Dylan Brooks. I think he's going to contend on the wing. Dylan Brooks, we have to remember, I believe he's six foot six, six foot seven. He's a bigger wing. I think Bain and Brooks can coexist on the perimeter, and Bain might be the starter on opening night.
2: You know, it's fairly possible. I think Brooks and, and Bain are pretty much the same height. Bain is six six as well. Um, but, again, he's got a negative wingspan, like Parker mentioned earlier. But, you know, you look at what where the Grizzlies struggled offensively last season. They were 19th in the league in three points attempted, and they were 23rd in the league in three-point percentage made. So it was never – you know, you've got guys that can shoot the, shoot the ball really well. Like you said, Jaron Jackson is not going to be there for the first quarter, maybe even third of the season. Uh, That is somewhere where Bain can absolutely come in and make an immediate impact. And, you know, like you said, Joe, if that's where uh, he has a a possibility of of getting into the starting five and really making an impact that way, or if you want him as your sixth man to really kind of give an offensive boost to that second unit um, he's going to be able to come in and at least at the very, very least make an impact, shooting the three right out of the gate he's got so much more than that, that he's going to be able to provide right away. Um, but I'm going to be really interested to see how Memphis uses him early on uh, and when, not really if, but when he ends up kind of as a regular starter on this team.
0: And Parker, there's obviously levels to this, right? Like we have free agency coming up, the D'Anthony Melton restricted free agency hangs over everything. You have Bobby Marks saying D'Anthony Melton might make $5 million. You have John Hollinger saying that he might make $15 million. There's so, so much variance right now in terms of what the market is going to be for the Anthony Melton. And I know you and I are both uh, skeptical that he would actually command that much cash, but at the same time, when you, let's assume everybody's back, right? Let's assume that they, you know, maybe they let Jonte Porter go. They let Marco Guterich go to clear up some of the roster log jam, Melton and Conchar, John Conchar both return and you've got Melton in the fold. I guess you could make an argument for bench scoring that you go with Bain as that sixth man. Maybe you start Melton and Brooks next to perhaps Kyle Anderson, assuming Kyle Anderson's still on the team. And you keep Brandon Clark. Imagine that reserve unit, by the way. Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, uh, you would have Brandon Clark. That's pretty solid stuff there to start the season with, even with the injuries that the team's obviously dealing with. Um But I do think it's interesting, Parker, Desmond Bain, if he lives up to what we see him potentially being, you know, I I looked at the odds for him being rookie of the year. It was 750 to one. If we're going to make the Brandon Clark comp of a hardworking defender, uh, a good efficient offensive player, obviously in a different way on the perimeter that fell in this draft because he's old and because his arms are short, I mean, Brandon Clark was first-team All-NBA. He was in the mix for that Rookie of the Year conversation if John ja Morant wasn't around, essentially. Uh, so I think that there's really opportunity here for Desmond Bain to kind of take that role and make it his own in terms of being a starter from day one or at the very least having a very significant rotational spot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of, as far as a starter on opening night, I, I think I would slot him in as... The poten- or him slash Dylan as the starting three on opening night. I, I mean, I think they're interchangeable. I don't think it really matters. You know, positionless, that's my thing. I don't think that really matters whether who's two, who's three. Um, but yeah, that would be an awesome bench unit. I really hate that Grayson Allen would probably become a, a casualty of that. Not even just because of my bias, but also just the fact that shooting's a premium and he is a shooter. But um, no, I'm just, I'm really intrigued by the many different directions that they can go because of guys like Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. And the hot take that I said a couple weeks ago in the GBB Slack that I was talking about to Joe before the show and that I tweeted out last night is I think Desmond Bain could start over Dylan Brooks by the All Star break. And that, then again, that's also assuming Justice Winslow is healthy and as height and just nothing's hit the fan. But, uh, and I was texting ninety two nines Connor Dunning about this last night, and actually he texted me this saying, "Bane is like uh, kind of like a controlled Dylan Brooks when you factor in like, his shot selection, his physicality on the wing, and uh, his theoretical a uh, three level scoring more so too. He's more of a either a driver or a three point shooter, but also to a smarter decision maker. So." I think it has legs. I would not be surprised if Desmond Bain is a, a full time starter sooner rather than later.
0: Absolutely. That wouldn't surprise me in the least either. I, I'm excited for what he's able to bring to the table. We're finishing up here with Jamie Plunkett at Frog Preacher on Twitter. He's the managing editor of the Frogs of War, a uh, wonderful blog that covers the TCU athletic department and program, uh, most specifically football and basketball. But I know they dip their toes in a little bit of everything. Make sure, again, you're following him on Twitter at Frog preacher we'll get you out of here on this i want to give her a shout out because it was a great great piece melissa treblosser at the coach melissa on twitter is the one who wrote the post about desmond bain today for you guys at frogs of war uh she mentioned his highlights right all the things that he does really well the way that he was involved in social justice at tcu he's going to be a fit in so many different ways both on the floor and in the community What is one thing, Jamie, that as Grizzly fans become more familiar and we get ourselves so excited that we think he can start right away on a team that's going to be in the play-in conversation, at least hopefully going to be in the play-in conversation for the NBA this year, uh, what is something that he needs to improve upon? You know, something that entering the NBA, if he wants to take his game to the next level and achieve that Eric Gordon, Joe Harris, Malcolm Brogdon kind of air because those are guys that have steady NBA careers that are making a ton of money compared to what guys have made in the past. Um, What does he need to do to kind of grow his game as he becomes a pro?
2: I think uh, the biggest aspect of his game that is kind of a growing edge is his ability, not just to get to the rim off the dribble, but to finish around the rim. Uh, He shot a a surprisingly low percentage around the rim for a guy who is as, as aggressive as he is. Uh, and my biggest question is how is his uh, negative wingspan, his his shorter arms? how is that gonna impact him around the rim at the next level uh, when bodies are so much bigger and arms are so much longer uh, down in the paint? Um, so that's something to keep an eye on is how does he finish well around the rim? Um, he's an incredible distributor when he gets to the rim, um, but it'll be more about how can he actually get the ball in the basket? Uh, he had some very wild uh, kind of twisting his body. Uh, and bouncing off of defenders finishes and layups and dunks and all that kind of stuff throughout his career at TCU. But that's definitely a place where he can grow more consistent uh, is, is making sure that beyond just being able to distribute, he can get the ball in when he's, when he's close.
0: The good news is he's going to have John Morant. He's going to have justice Winslow in theory, hopefully Uh, he's going to have lots of guys that can dribble drive, get to the basket. I think early in his NBA career, he's going to be asked to be in the corner, be on the, on the wing. And hit some threes. And he's shown throughout his TCU career that he is more than capable of doing that, being a sound defender. He's going to have an opportunity to grow his game in an organization that clearly values the type of person and the type of player that Desmond Bain is. It's going to be a beautiful marriage. I'm looking forward to it. Jamie Plunkett, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. We appreciate you. Good luck. Continue to success down the road. And uh hopefully Desmond Bain, I'm sure he will actually uh will, will do the TCU community proud and we'll establish himself as a key part of the next great Grizzlies team.
2: Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm thrilled to see what Bain does in Memphis, and I'm going to be cheering for him and for the Grizzlies every time they're not playing the Mavericks. That was
0: Jamie Plunkett, ladies and gentlemen. Follow him on Twitter at Frog Preacher. When we come back, I will be joined by Mark Giannato of the Commercial Appeal and 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis. We're going to talk about the draft. We're going to talk about... Uh, free agency coming up and everything in between the injury update that we got on justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson jr. And the post draft availability with GM Zach Kleiman. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to grizzly bear blues live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullenax. I am without my co-host, Parker Fleming, for this part of the show. He had to run, but uh, we thank Parker for joining me in the first segment, talking Desmond Bain in particular. Lots of things to be excited about with Mr. Bain, including all the bootleg T-shirts and growl towels and all the stuff that I'm sure will come out of Memphis as Bain makes a name for himself with the Grizzlies in this uh, rotation in the long term. But in the short term here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live, The fascinating thing is we're going from the NBA draft on a Wednesday to the start of free agency on a Friday. It's giving off real lockout vibes from that 2011-2012 season when everything was so condensed. Uh, Similar concept here, the NBA season is very close to beginning, and there's not many better people to talk to about that than Mr. Mark Giannato on Twitter at MGiannotto. Uh, He is a remarkable writer for the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, sports columnist there. Uh, He's also the co-host of Giannato and Jeffrey on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. I've been on their show several times, big fan of theirs, and I'm a big fan of Mark in particular. Glad he is back with us. Mark, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing great. A little tired. It was late night last night uh, covering the draft, especially
3: when we got a, a bit of a swerve, I guess, at the end of the night when Zach Kleiman spoke to us. At around midnight.
0: Absolutely. I was fortunate enough to be on that call, and and obviously you were too, and we'll talk more about that here in a moment. It was a late night. Uh, I know you, like me, are from the uh, the DMV area. I'm from Virginia. Um, You you obviously from that region too, uh, coming to Memphis Mm -hmm. from uh, the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, uh, nook that I'm around. And I'm on the East Coast, and it was about 2 a.m., 2:30 when I made it to bed after the writing and all that stuff. So it was a uh, it was a late night for me too. But it's it's a blessing, as I've said in the past, to be able to do this again. One of the silver linings of COVID is uh, you can you can cover the team regardless of where you are, which is definitely nice uh, in terms of media availability. Desmond Bain was the pick at 30 overall. Memphis trades away two future seconds to get that deal done. At least we believe so. As of this recording, we are still not quite sure what exactly is going to be that deal that has been finalized yet. There's been rumors of Venus Cantor and fitting in the traded player exceptions. You know, there's all sorts of different ways this can play out. It might break as we're recording this. Uh, but Desmond Bain, it, he will eventually be a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. That was the first major move of draft night. Ah, uh, Zach Kleiman said in his media availability that they have a type, and Bain definitely checks all of those boxes. So, what's your initial takeaways uh, after almost 24 hours of of Desmond Bain being one of the newest Grizzlies?
3: Well, one, I think I've just decided to call him Bain. I'm not going to call him Desmond Bain or Desmond. I'm just going to call him Bain because uh, it just sounds very intimidating and cool. Um, but no, it, I think that we have a type. Comment was was great because you you look at Desmond Bain, it seems like when you look at we have a type, what I like about this front office the Grizzlies have now with that climate and company is they seem to value production over measurables and I just think that's a great way to go about it. Like you know, and it seemed like the previous front office was almost like the opposite. They valued talent and measurables over necessarily production. And so, what you see, what you saw with Desmond Bay is this is just a very productive college player consistently over the course of his entire college career. He's a guy who shot over 40% from three point range three years in a row, I believe, or maybe all four years of college. And that's what this roster needs. It needs more shooters. And you need, and you need more, I guess, options to swing and, you know, to take swings at in terms of finding guys. Who, you can sur- who can surround John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, moving forward. And here's a guy whose skill set really seems to fit with what John Morant does best. Um, it, it feels, you know, you, you John Morant is so good at penetrating to the basket, and it felt like last year in Taylor Jenkins' system, too often you'd find the Grizzlies getting open shots, but they just didn't have guys who could hit open shots at the sort of level that you want. And Desmond Bain, theoretically, potentially, looks like a guy who could be that type of player, whether you want to say it's a three and D guy or maybe a little more than that. He said um, last night he wants to maybe model his game after his NBA game after Eric Gordon or Joe Harris. If that's what he turns out to be, if he turns out to be similar to Eric Gordon or Joe Harris, that, I mean, I think that's just fantastic for the Grizzlies. That's kind of exactly what they're looking for um, with John Jaron already in the fold.
0: Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer compared him to Malcolm Brogdon, and I know you're familiar with UVA and and the way that Brogdon played. Uh, That would be awesome, too. You know, those are all guys that really kind of fit in. Again, they have a type, that idea, and they specifically said it last night, uh, Kleiman did, which was really refreshing to hear, they have a plan, you know, even more than having a type, having a plan is good to hear. And last week on the show, we had Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian on, and we talked with him about something that he and I both kind of resonated on. And I know you have too, you know, the idea of this season moving forward, and this will tie in with our next conversation about the injury update. uh, The conversation moving forward needs to be on the next great Grizzlies team which obviously is years in the future. And Kleiman, to his credit, made that very clear last night that they are taking the very long-term approach with this process. The next great Grizzlies team in two years or so, three years, whatever it might be, this is a group that you need to figure out if the stars are on the team now. Because obviously if you look at all the title contenders, you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. You've got Giannis, uh, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday now. You've got... Uh, KD, and Kyrie. You know, all these teams have at least two dudes that have the capacity to be superstar-level players. You need to figure out if those guys are already on your roster if you're the Memphis Grizzlies, because if Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. can be those dudes, you have greater flexibility in terms of trades in the future with all the assets you've acquired. If Ja is one but Jaron is not, or vice versa, which seems the most unlikely scenario, uh, I doubt that Jaron would be the superstar and Ja wouldn't, but it, what it, however it works out, you need to be able to start answering that question. It may not result in playoff wins this season. It may not even result in a postseason appearance this season. But having a better answer to that question should be a goal moving forward. And we'll talk about the injury concerns here in a moment. But again, whether it was Desmond Bain, or whether it was Tillman from Michigan State, even Killian Tilly. The two-way contract that was signed out of Gonzaga, obviously connections with Brandon Clark. But Tilly has lottery talent. He has a shooting stroke that's very impressive when he's healthy. All of these pieces seem to be going along the idea of we're trying to maximize the opportunity that Morant and Jackson Jr. have to show us what they have so that we know if we need to go and get out somebody else or get somebody else or if we can just keep adding supplementary talent around them to maximize their strengths.
3: Yeah, and what was I thought what was great about last night is you mentioned those three guys, Bain, uh, and then you know we haven't mentioned Xavier Tillman, and then um and Tilly. They did all of that without get, having, or, at least as of what we know now, without having to give up a future first one of their future first round picks, which I think is great. It's just great. It seems like once again for the second year in a row, not just in the draft but also last year's free agency, where This front office, I think, has shown, I call it, I called it in my column, strategic aggression. You know, like they're not afraid to go be aggressive. They're not going to mortgage the future, but they're also not afraid to go be aggressive and make a move if there's a move to be made. Um, And so I really like that. And then the other part of this is, if you look at the way they've set this up, particularly since Last year's trade deadline, when they went and grabbed Justice Winslow, the big off season, if you will, for the Grizzlies looked like it was looks like it's going to be either next off season or maybe even the off season after that. That's when they're going to make, it. if you want to call like their whatever their next big move is, whatever it ends up being, and and, and I think what that big move is is to be determined based on. How John, Jaron, and this group progress over this season, um, but the big off season was never was not going to be this off season, and and it's not it, and it's you know they're realistic about it. They're not they're not they're not just going out and signing people to sign people um, or trying to you know, or making trades just to make trades. And so um, that's what's that's what I think is um, going to be fascinating to watch moving forward. Um, Because you mentioned they do have a lot of assets that they can potentially move once they figure out exactly what they want to do um, as that big move. Because I just feel – I don't know if you agree with me, Joe, or not, but, like, it just feels like whether it's that Gorgie Jang expiring contract, the, the, the Warriors and Utah Jazz first-round picks that they have in future years, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's when Jonas and Kyle Anderson come off the books, it feels like there is, they've got, there's going to be some sort of major move at some point. My gut tells me it's going to be via trade more so than a free agency signing. But it's also a major move that is, at least in my mind, a year off. At, at best, maybe this year's trade deadline. But more than likely, it happens next offseason or even the offseason after that.
0: And there doesn't have to be a rush with that, Right. It doesn't have to yeah. be a rush because you have your two best players. Again, if we're subscribing to that theory that your two best players are John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., which I'd say at this point is a logical one, that means that you're looking at a team that your two best players are 21 years old. Like they just recently, mm-hmm. I think one of them, I don't remember which one, it might have been Jaron, turned 21 in September. Like just recently, they're able to yeah. start drinking legally. And now yeah. we're, we're looking at them being the best players on the team. You're not going to contend for a championship. You're not going to if that is your circumstance, and that's quite all right. Competing for the play-in is a wonderful goal, excuse me, wonderful goal for this team as they are constructed, and, and I agree with you. You know, at, at over at GBB uh, in the comments, we've had people saying that they should go and make this roster as good as they can. You want to show Jaron and Jaw that you're committed to winning. I think with their actions, what they're showing is we believe that you two will eventually be the ones that we have to pay. Right. In, in a small market, if you're committing long term to those two guys and super maxes like Giannis is probably about to sign with Milwaukee and and that sort of stuff in the and down the road in this market, you have to be smart with where you're putting your money otherwise. And I think that mm-hmm. they're buying themselves time so that they can put themselves in a position to when they have to pay Ja, when they have to pay Jaron, which, oh, by the way, is only two years from now. Jaron's already halfway through his rookie deal. You're you're now better prepared to take on that growing number in terms of your cap space and you still have the assets to add talent around them so you're showing that you're committed to them being competitive now but you're not selling the farm before they're ready to take that uh, mantle from the golden states and, uh, and that's obviously aside from clay thompson terrible news on his injury but golden state will still be in the playoff mix Obviously, the Lakers and the Clippers. You've got the Nuggets that are still relevant. There's going to be teams that are better than them no matter what they do this offseason, and they can kind of sit and wait and make sure that their ducks are in a row before they make any groundbreaking moves that are going to compromise future flexibility. We're talking with Mark Giannato here. Again, he's a sports columnist over at the uh, Commercial Appeal in Memphis. He's also the co-host of the Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. Uh, Follow him on Twitter if you don't already do so. At M that's G-I-A-N-N-O-T-T-O. Uh, Mark, you wrote a column about the draft last night, and it was filled with similar things that I talked about in my blog post um, the the type that the Grizzlies have and the success that they had in this draft. You know, disrespect to, no disrespect to Xavier Tillman. We'll talk more about him as time goes on. They don't need him right now, but he seems to be a good fit as a facilitator, as a rebounder. He makes sense next to Jaron just like he did at Michigan State. Similar concept with Desmond Bain and Jaw. Those two playing together, you know, I think my bold prediction going into the season is Desmond Bain going to be the starting two guard for this team by the time the mm. all-star break rolls around. I think that's a very realistic possibility because that puts Dylan in a role that's ideal for him as a scoring wing off the bench. Dylan firing up shots against reserves is a lot more attractive than taking shots away from Jaron and Jaw. So that's going to be a bold prediction that I'm playing with. Um, but you you mentioned in your column that the reports that, again, credit to Chris Harrington, that Chris asked for during that media availability and the fact that the season is starting sooner than people anticipated originally Jaren Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to be ready for the start of the season. And he made it sound like Zach Kleiman did. He may not be ready until, you know, mid-January or so. It might be a month into the season until we see Jaron. Justice isn't going to be ready for the start of the season. We'll see Justice on the floor before we see Jaron, it seems. But those two injuries, you said, and the way I, I want to use your words here, um, or at least the words of the person who put in the title, until the clock struck midnight. So the yeah. – the the results of the draft put a damper on it. According to your column, and it was a good read. I highly recommend it. Um, it. It put a damper on the night enough for you that it made like was it a snap back to reality or was it like for me? I kind of took it on the opposite way. That again, we were talking a moment ago about how they're not rushing this, right? And and Kleiman said that multiple times. This will not be rushed. Uh, they are being very cautious, especially in a very unique season ahead. Uh, a 72-game season where there's likely not going to be very many fans, if any at all, given how COVID is ravaging the country right now. Um, I was kind of reassured that they're not going to try to get these guys back on the court. Uh, You took the opposite approach, but I think your point is a fair one in that the the overachieving team that we saw kind of get exposed in the bubble, it's more likely that we see that group with a slow start than perhaps the fast start that folks were hoping for coming out of an overachieving overall season.
3: Yeah, here, here's how I would phrase it is long term, ultimately, as long as, yeah, as, long, Jared, as long as, especially Jaron, as long as Jaron long term is healthy and gets back to the, the player we saw at the beginning of the bubble, the player who emerged over the course of 65 games last season, long term, th- th- this injury news is not that big of a deal. Cause like we've already talked about, this team is gearing up for two, three years from now, not this year. Where where it's a little concerning for me is so if you one if you look at what you look at the if we if we assume and it, and that Kleiman said this last night they are going to be very cautious with and with Jaron especially it seems like and they they were um, last year when he or his rookie year when he suffered that foot injury too um, if you look at the timeline for a, a repaired meniscus. So a, a meniscus that's not just you don't get it just scoped, which is something you can come back from sometimes in like two months. But it, it sounds like Jaron Jackson Jr. had a repaired meniscus, which is like a fairly significant surgery. And if you look at the timeline for recovery from that, it's it's anywhere between three and six months. Uh, if you look at if we're looking go if you go on just various medical websites, um, let's say given what we know about the Grizzlies, given what Zach Kleiman said last night, let's say it's six months. So he suffered that injury at the beginning of August. That means we're looking at probably like the beginning of February when he comes back. Um, and with the condensed schedule, that's like a third of the season probably or something like that. And then, frankly, if he's coming back from a major knee injury, I, my guess is it probably takes him a month, maybe up till the All-Star break at the beginning of March, to really get his legs under him again um, and, and sort of get in a groove again. And then you add in the Justice Winslow part um, where he's not going to be available for the beginning of the season, although it sounds like it could – hopefully it'll be, you know, a couple weeks into the season he'll be back. But if you take those two guys together, I mean, one, Justice Winslow is essentially – it's just like a try, an audition season for him to see if he is a – a player that you can uh, count on who fits long-term with this roster um, because he's got a team option on his contract after this year. And, and frankly, you traded away, a, you know, a decent amount of assets to go grab him at the trading deadline. And then you add on that Jaron, let's assume it's beginning of February that he doesn't come back. That's like – that's a that's a significant portion of the season – where you are not going to see Ja, Jaron, and Justice Winslow play together. And as we were talking about, like, part of what this season is about, like, take out the fact that, like, I think it it sounds a lot more daunting to complete, compete for a playoff spot, with given the news of last night, than it did, say, Tuesday or Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday morning. But if we're trying to evaluate, you know, is Jaron Jackson Jr. the number two guy? It, you know, does Justice Winslow fit? Like you, you—it's just less of a sample size now to figure that out next year. Because that is like, and frankly, that is what next season is about—is—is is gaining more. You got some evidence last year that what, you're on to something here. You know, given how well this team played and how how much they overachieved, you're looking for more evidence so that it can formulate. What you decide to do when you try, if you want to try to make a major move next offseason or, or what have you. And so, my concern is just that, you know, if it ends up that Jaron Jackson Jr. returns by February and ultimately he comes out of the All Star break at the beginning of March and he looks like Jaron again, and you get from March till May with Ja, Jaron, and Justice all playing together with the rest of this young nucleus. Then I think you're. It's fine. It's not. It, you know, ultimately, even if you end up missing the playoffs or the play-in, because they missed a, a decent chunk of the beginning of the season, so be it. That feels like enough of an evaluation time, March to May, to kind of help you formulate some of your decisions. But like, you know, who's to say there's not going to be setbacks? Who's to say there's not? You know, it's all going to work out perfectly. Ultimately, you've got Justice Winslow whose track record suggests he's an injury-prone player, let's be honest. Um, And then Jaron Jackson Jr., who um, now this is a second injury in two years that he's dealing with. And again, I'm not ready to label him injury-prone or anything, but, you know, let's see how he, you know, hopefully he comes back and he's able to continue the momentum he built. But I I don't think, hopefully my comment didn't come off as it's the end of the world. I do think it means, it, it takes a little bit of luster off of this season. Um, and you, you do want to see them. Like I wanted to see a repeat of last season where they surprised everyone and compete for the play-in and try to and get in the play-in. And maybe they still can. I don't know. But um, it just – it was more like everything was going so perfectly last night, whether it was with the Tigers players and James Wiseman and Precious Achua and Penny Hardaway or – when it came to the Grizzlies, we all kind of were wondering, are they going to trade up and get into the first round? And they did, and they went and grabbed Desmond Bain. And, and you just felt really good about the night. And then that injury news kind of just – it didn't ruin the night, but it just, you know, it was kind of, like you put it, back to reality a little bit. Um, and so it it probably hit a little harder just because how well things had gone for the previous four hours.
0: It was a good night. It was a good night. But again, uh, I guess we yeah. can blame Chris Harrington for that, bringing it up. But we rarely get that access, as you know, to to ask those kinds yeah. of questions to Zach Kleiman. Uh, so I understand completely why he did it. He was doing his job as a journalist. And, and that, that was important information to have for sure. I do think that it's important to keep in mind, and you, I think you said it fairly in the article, that while it limits what they're capable of this season, uh, again, that's not really the end goal right? The end goal is getting yeah. as good as you can in the next couple of years. They're still in line to do that. I think it is an opportunity for Brandon Clark perhaps to get more opportunity yeah, to, point. cause he, whenever he started last season, he looked awful. He was a completely different player when he was a reserve. You, you could argue he was a dark horse, six man of the year candidate. Uh, but when mm-hmm. it comes to him as a starter, he was miserable. Like it, it, they, they were completely different guys. So I think that it might be a chance for him to grow into that role. I do think it'll allow for uh, Tillman to maybe get some more minutes than he would normally, Mm -hmm. assuming that Kyle Anderson, and again, I haven't checked Twitter lately, so it's possible Kyle Anderson's already been traded somewhere. Uh, But assuming Kyle Anderson's still on the team, uh, it gives Kyle the chance to play the four more, and you can get grace. It it solves your log jam on the wing a little bit more effectively, which we'll talk more about here in a minute. Uh, I think that it gives guys opportunity to, again, Can you help us in the long term? And obviously, John Mm -hmm. Morant's a part of that plan. Jaron Jackson Jr. appears to be part of that plan. Brandon Clark appears to be part of that plan. Nobody else on this team should feel comfortable being part of that plan. And I, I do think that it's kind of an open audition. And Desmond Bain inserts himself into that conversation, being one of the most valuable contracts in the NBA now. Uh, Memphis has control of him for four years. They have full restricted free agency rights uh, and they're only paying him. I think it's something like 1.6 or $1.8 million this year. So this is a guy who, again, I think so highly of that. I think he could be a starter by the all-star break. And, He's going to be a big contributor, potentially, given his shooting acumen, his ability to create in the pick and roll. You know, there's going to be opportunity open for guys because of these injuries. So I do I do think it limits their ceiling. Now we saw how poorly they played without Jaron and Justice and obviously Tyus Jones as well. But at the same time, I think that it'll be a good opportunity for guys to get some minutes that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. We're finishing up here with Mark Gianato again, of the Commercial Appeal and of 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. Uh, Giannato and Jeffrey show. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at M Giannotto. we'll get you out of here on this mark. Uh, free agency. Like I said, free agency gets underway yeah. uh, here in the next 24 or less than 24 hours. Now, as we record this podcast, uh, I'm, I'm curious as to your takeaway on it. Cause I've sat down to start my uh, free agency primer. They've got almost a full roster as it is. They extended qualifying yeah. offers to John Conchar, which is slightly surprising considering that they've signed their two, uh, two-way contracts already so maybe they see conchar someone that could do a sign and trade maybe they see conchar as accepting a qualifying offer and they just keep him in the mix i know they like conchar i know you know that too so it makes sense that they extended that qualifying offer d'anthony melton kind of looms the largest right because here's a guy who bobby marks of espn says is worth four to six million dollars which i think is a good amount for d'anthony melton and then you have john hollinger saying he's the most valuable shooting guard on the market and he could make over $15 million according to his projections, which I would not pay DeAnthony Melton. Other people, like Keith mm-hmm. Parrish, a fast break breakfast, and, and others would, would pay that amount. He's shown value as a 22-year-old. It's usually not smart to let 22-year-olds walk away for nothing, and I think the qualifying offer will maybe help in some uh, sign and trades if that comes to be and is necessary. But uh, those are obviously the largest shoes to drop. Because while Memphis, I think, will be active in terms of the trade market if it presents itself, I also don't think they're going to go out seeking. They're going to let things kind of fall into their lap. But right that they have to deal with almost immediately is the free agency of DeAnthony Melton. And I'm curious as to how you kind of see that playing out. Because some people said that Desmond Bain coming is probably the death knell for Melton. I disagree with that. I think Marco Guterich is about to get, played or get paid to not play basketball for the Memphis Grizzlies. I think that's about to happen mm-hmm. if they can't trade it. Uh, but I don't necessarily see it being the end for Melton. Jonte Porter and his team option and Marco Guterich seen the most likely way to clear up the roster issues in my mind. But j- how do you kind of see that playing out, starting with Melton's free agency? It's hard for me to see them letting him walk for nothing.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's the death knell for D'Anthony Melton. What I think it is is the death knell for any scenario – where like the Grizzlies pay more than like the mid-level exception for him. Like if it's getting into the if it's get, if we're getting into the ten million and above range, at this point, I personally think you you'll start to see you'll see the Grizzlies explore sign and trade. You know, kind of like what with ha- what happened with DeLon Wright a year ago, a little bit. Like it just it's too rich for your you know. Ultimately, it's too rich for your blood. He's a non you know ultimately a non-shooting combo guard who does a lot of things and probably you know more valuable than DeLon Wright because of his age and because of how he rebounds and all those little things that Mr. Do everything is, as Brevin Knight says. Um, and I think, I think you're right in the four to $6 million range, sign me up at definitely at seven days a week for DeAntheon Mountain. And even if we get up to that 9 million range, like the mid-level exception range, I think you have to consider it because he showed so many flashes of promise last year, as a guy who – because I always think about it like this. Like, we're talking about how these teams look in the future and how they – you know, what, what, a, what a what a Western Conference contender Memphis Grizzlies team looks like whenever that is, two, three, four years down the line. Um, I always think of it, is this guy in my top eight in a playoff series? And the Anthony Melton showed me last year that I can foresee him being in, in certainly in the top eight of my rotation for a playoff series two, three, four years down the line. So there's there's certainly some value. But I do think what happened last night in the draft, you don't have to have him. Um you don't especially if you're going to have to overpay him because you mentioned earlier the Grizzlies are going to have to start thinking about how is this roster going to look like when we don't have John Jaron on rookie contracts when they're both on probably max deals. Like, what is the best way to spend our money two, three years from now? And you don't want to get locked into a contract where DeAnthony Melton is getting paid, you know, 13, 14, dollars three years from now, I don't think. And so um, it's going to be an interesting tightrope to see what sort of offer, what's, what, what teams end up offering DeAnthony Melton, if another team decides he's worth $12 million a year, for instance. Like personally I don't know if if I'm the Grizzlies, I don't know if I match that. Um, I think I try to negotiate a sign and trade, get some more assets and and hope that, you know, Desmond Bain works out. Um and so um it he's kinda he's kind of a fulcrum, it feels like for for this offseason. If ultimately you bring back DeAnthony Melton, I don't really know how many more moves the Grizzlies have to make. You know, you mentioned, you know, Guterich, maybe you get rid of Guterich and Resign Anthony Tolliver or some veteran, minimum, you know, some other veteran like that to add to the locker room. But like, yeah, you know, to me, it's it all comes down to what ultimately, what is the market for De'Anthony Melton, and what do the Grizzlies decide is an appropriate market for them for De'Anthony Melton?
0: If they don't pick up Jonte Porter's team option, which to me seems likely at this point with the arrival of Tillman, and if they cut Marco Guterich, which I anticipate them doing that will put them at 14 or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just get rid of him and he's not on the roster anymore. Probably have to pay him to not play basketball for the Grizzlies. Uh, That will put them at 14 players on the roster and they've already signed their two, two way guys, McDermott and Mm -hmm. who could be Duncan Robinson and that would be fantastic. Uh, And Killian Tilly, who we talked about earlier as a good value pick. And again, shout out to Sean Coleman, for nailing the Grizzlies draft for us at GBB. Uh, all, all three of those guys were in his prediction piece a few weeks ago and as targets of Memphis, and sure enough, they're Memphis Grizzlies. Um, so shout out to Sean. I I think that that frees them up to have one more guy that they could potentially add, and they'll have a little bit of money with, uh, with the mid-level exception more than likely to bring that uh, mm-hmm. maybe a third point guard. Uh, that would be nice to have. We yep. saw that if Tyus goes down, you, you could use one of those in the bubble for sure. So, or you could have used one of those in the bubble for sure. So maybe they get one of those vet minimum guys that's a backup point guard to help mentor Jaw a little bit and Tyus as well. Because you we got to remember Tyus is young; uh, he's on his next deal, but he's a younger player still. Uh, so I, I think that that'll and it'll be a relatively quiet off season in terms of free agency. Uh, they could have something up their sleeve. Maybe that fifteenth uh, pick or that fifteenth roster spot gets filled by the Boston trade eventually, which. I just double checked. Nothing has happened on that front as of yet. Um, That's possible too. But I think in my opinion, the most likely scenario is Guterich and Porter are gone. They bring back both Melton and Conchar. And then that 15th spot, they either leave open or they Mm -hmm. go and get a third point guard to kind of help even things out. But I do think that, again, the trade for Justice Winslow and giving away Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, in my opinion, is not, a lot of its it's opportunity cost for this free agency period. That's what it is. Memphis would have had a lot of cap space right now if they hadn't made that trade. They decided to kick the can down the road to 2021 to take a shot at Justice Winslow, uh, and I think that was valuable. And, and but my my take on Jay yeah. Crowder is very is very well known. Um, well, I do think there's some value in adding, like you know, not like
3: having like ha- having adding some sort of even if he's not going to really play very much whether it's like Tolliver or a point guard who's of that sort of status and sort of stature. And like, ultimately it's a really young locker room. And I do think there is some benefit to just to signing someone who, who a good locker room guy, if you will. Um, Cause I know Jonas is 27, 28, but like he doesn't strike me like Jonas is a great locker room guy, but doesn't really strike me as that leader necessarily. Kyle is a little, you know, is, is, sort of a veteran now but again same thing like they need like it would be nice to have whether you know whether it's a j whether it's the jay Crowder solomon hill type who in the locker room again for like a veteran minimum you know just to have that guy because you have such a young group
0: yeah i do think some veteran leadership could be valuable in that way but i also you know you have Jonas, you have kyle anderson you have guys yeah. that have been in that role in the past, but it could be nice to have someone who could be that mentor uh, and, and show jaw, especially the ropes, so to speak, that, that could have some value. Uh, so it sounds like we're in agreement that free agency isn't going to be that crazy for the Grizzlies. Melton's contract kind of looms the largest. Uh, but at the, again, if anything, I think a sign and trade would happen with Melton. I don't think they're just going to let him walk. Uh, they'll try to do what they did with the lawn right in Dallas the previous year and get some sort of assets, perhaps even the ones that they lost uh, in the trade with Boston for Bain to get him back. But I I anticipate Melton being back, Conchar being back. I think they're going to run this back for the most part. And uh, maybe they bring in a third point guard with that. 15th roster spot on the veteran minimum and see where the chips fall it's going to be a fascinating sprint up to the season I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to reading more of your work Mark as always thank you so much for joining us Mark Giannato of the Commercial Appeal and 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis will of course have you back on down the road hopefully
3: yeah thanks for having me on Joe it was, it was
0: fun Absolutely, thank you, Mark. So for Mark, for Parker, thanks everybody for joining us wherever you're checking out Grizzly Bear Blues live. Make sure you're subscribing on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iHeart, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. However, you want to get a podcast, you can get not just GBB Live, but three and D, the core four, the starting five, our entire podcast network over at GBB. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week, probably with some free agency movement to talk about. Until then, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.